everyone, I'm Stephanie Peer, and welcome to the Salty Science Podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the motion of the ocean. And in particular, we're going to be discussing one very special type of motion, the Great Ocean Conveyor Belt, also known as the Global Ocean Conveyor Belt. But first... All right, so as you can imagine, the ocean is dynamic, meaning it's not still, it's always moving. And if you've been to the beach and seen the waves crashing on the shore, you know that the water is always moving. But waves on the beach or even out at sea are only one type of movement pattern. There are so many. So in this episode, we're gonna be taking a giant step back and look at the whole ocean to discuss the global ocean conveyor belt. But before we dive in, let's take a quick moment to review some very important concepts which we've already discussed in previous episodes. And to start us out, let's review temperature. So you'll remember from episodes five and six that the temperature of the ocean varies depending on where you're looking whether you're looking at the surface or the deep layers, and whether you're looking at the equator or closer towards the poles. And of course, it also depends on when you're looking. Is it night or is it day? Is it winter or is it summer? But for the most part, there is a general trend that surface waters are warmer towards the equator and get cooler towards the poles. And then of course, the surface layers are generally warmer than the bottom layers. And then we can't forget that the very deep waters of the ocean, regardless of if you're at the equator or in the poles, the water temperature is really cold and stays pretty much constant between 0 degrees and 3 degrees Celsius or 32 to 37 degrees Fahrenheit. And you'll also remember from episode 9, Visiting the Clines, that I introduced the term thermocline. Thermo meaning that we're talking about temperature and cline meaning a gradient or a continuum or in our case we're talking about a change. And if we were to plot the temperatures of the surface of the ocean all the way down to the bottom, we'd see a section where the water temperature changes very quickly, and that is the thermocline. All right, so now let's quickly review salinity. Salinity is the term we use to describe how salty the water is, or to say how much salt is in the water. And you'll remember from episodes one and two that while there are so many different methods for measuring salinity, marine scientists all agree that we can still think of salinity in terms of grams of salt per kilogram or one liter of water. And you'll remember that on average, the salinity of the ocean is 35, or 35 grams of salt per kilogram or liter of water. And you'll also remember from episode 9, I introduced the term halocline. Halo or haline coming from the Greek meaning salt and cline once again meaning a gradient or changing values. And if we were to plot the salinities of the ocean from the top to the bottom, while it may not be as drastic as the thermocline, in many parts of the world we can still see a halocline or a section of the ocean where the salinity changes very quickly the deeper we go. Okay, and then finally, when we combine the idea of temperature and salinity and pressure, we can start thinking of the ocean in terms of density. And you'll recall from episode 7 that density is a term we use to describe how much mass or stuff is in a specific volume of water. So for example, if we keep our volume the same, say a liter of water, we can change the density of the water by either adding more stuff to the water like say sea salts, or we can change the density by changing the temperature. And then of course we can also change the density by changing the pressure. And you'll also recall from episode 9 visiting the clients, I introduce the term pycnocline, which pycno stands for density and again cline meaning a gradient or changing values. And again in many parts of the world, if we were to look at density values from the surface of the ocean to the bottom of the ocean, we would see that they increase the deeper we go. And sometimes we can even detect the pycnocline, or a region where the density changes very quickly with depth. 
And the last thing to remember is that fresh water is less dense than salt water, and warm water is less dense than cold water, and that the heavy, dense water will sink below the lighter, less dense water. All right, so now to the conveyor belt. So what is the global ocean conveyor belt? Well, when I personally think of conveyor belt, I immediately think of the I Love Lucy TV show, especially the episode where Lucy gets a job at a chocolate factory, and in the episode, she's sitting at the conveyor belt and has to pick up the chocolate candies one by one as they come down the line and then wrap them and put them in their packaging. And of course, what makes it funny is the fact that she gets overwhelmed because she can't keep up with the candy moving along the belt. And let's just say she gets creative in the way she tries to manage the candy load. But in this episode, we're not talking about chocolate. We're talking about the ocean. But the term conveyor or conveyor belt does elicit the idea of constant movement. And the ocean, as we all know, is always moving and has different types of movements. Like I said earlier, it has waves and currents and gyres and eddies and tides and storm events, just to name a few. And each of these movements is caused by a different factor, such as the wind, the spin of the earth, Coriolis, the sun, and the moon. So the great ocean conveyor belt is one of those movements or motions of our ocean that occur on a global scale. And this motion is caused by a combination of thermohaline currents in the deep ocean, which as you remember thermo referring to temperature and haline referring to salinity, along with wind-driven currents on the surface. And the key thing to remember right now is that cold, salty water is dense and will sink to the bottom of the ocean, while warm water, salty or fresh, is less dense and will remain on the surface. So now, class, it's time for a field trip. And to quote Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, everyone to the bus. Okay, so we're not really taking a real life field trip, but for the sake of this episode, imagine that you're in an episode of the TV show, The Magic School Bus. You and the whole class got on the Magic School Bus, and after a short, quick ride, you find that the bus has transformed into a large boat, and you discover that you're all floating in the middle of the Norwegian Sea, which is part of the most northern border of the North Atlantic Ocean. So you're out there floating in the sea that is surrounded by Greenland, Iceland, Sweden, and Norway, and what do you notice? Well, one of the first things that you notice is that it's cold. It's very cold. The air is cold and the water is cold. And then a chilly Arctic breeze blows from the north and it just seems like everything's getting colder. Then the next thing you know, Miss Frizzle starts handing out these special glasses that she calls thermohaline picno peakers. So you put the glasses on and the wind blows again. <laughs> It's so cold. And this time you can see that as the wind blows, heat from the water starts to escape. And with the help of these special glasses, you can see that the water is in fact getting colder. Then as you watch the water getting colder and colder, you see that the temperature starts to reach negative two degrees Celsius or 28.4 degrees Fahrenheit, the temperature at which sea ice starts to form. And then you hear Miss Frizzle say, hit the switch meter on your glasses. So you do. And now, instead of looking at temperature, you're looking at salinity. And you start to see that as the sea ice forms, the water that makes up the ice is fresh water. And then someone in the class asks, where did all this fresh water come from? And of course, Miss Frizzle explains that the fresh water in the ice is actually from the ocean all around us. Because as the ice forms, it only takes up the water molecules and leaves all the salt behind, making the remaining surrounding seawater even saltier. Next, Miss Frizzle tells 
tells you to hit the switch meter one more time. Now, instead of looking at temperature or salinity, you're able to see density. You again look at the water, and you can see that as the ice forms, it becomes less dense, which allows it to float on the surface. But as the salt is left behind, it makes the surrounding water denser, causing it to sink. And then surface water from the surrounding area moves in to replace the sinking water, and this starts to create a current. And as more ice forms, more salt is left behind, and the water starts to get saltier and saltier, which then starts to sink more and more. And then someone asks the question, where does all the water go? And Miss Frizzle, with a twinkle in her eye, turns to our pet lizard, Liz, and says, hit it, Liz! And then Liz hits a switch inside the bus, and after a whirlwind of sparks and glitter, you and your classmates on the bus have all turned into a parcel of salt water. The chilly arctic wind blows again, sea ice forms, and the magic school bus parcel of water gets saltier, which makes it denser, and so it starts to sink, meaning that it's now hitching a ride on the global ocean conveyor belt. And the global ocean conveyor belt transports you and the class from the surface of the North Atlantic to the very bottom. And then as you reach the bottom, the great conveyor belt starts to transport you south, between the continents, past the equator, and down to the very ends of Africa and South America, where it then carries you around the edge of Antarctica, where more cold water is starting to sink down, giving the conveyor belt a sort of quote-unquote recharge. And as you move around Antarctica, the conveyor belt splits off into two sections, both turning northward. The first one moves into the Indian Ocean and the other into the Pacific Ocean. But for the sake of this episode, the bus gets pushed into the second section and you travel all the way to the Pacific Ocean. But as you continue to travel, the water starts to warm up and become less dense as you travel northward towards the equator. So with this warmer, slightly less dense water, you start to rise to the surface, which is also known as upwelling. As you continue your journey to the North Pacific, then, as you ride along the conveyor belt at the very surface, it loops back southward and westward towards the South Atlantic Ocean, eventually returning back to the North Atlantic where the cycle began. Now, if we really were in a Magic School Bus episode, we would probably make several loops on the Global Ocean Conveyor Belt within a matter of minutes because the episodes are only 25 minutes long. But the Global Ocean Conveyor Belt is actually really, really slow. It only travels at speed of a few centimeters per second, which there's about 2.5 centimeters in an inch, so you're looking at maybe an inch or two per second. That's very slow, which at this speed also means that if you really were able to travel as a parcel of seawater along the global ocean conveyor belt, if you started at the surface of the North Atlantic Ocean, it would take you about 1,000 years to complete the whole journey. That's a long time. But while the speed may seem insignificant, the amount of water that is traveling every day along the conveyor belt is huge. And according to one research article, the amount of water that is currently circling on this conveyor belt is more than a hundred times the flow of the Amazon River. Wow, that's a lot of water. So now, why is the conveyor belt so important? Well, it's important because it's a vital component of the global ocean nutrients and carbon dioxide cycles. Warm surface waters are often depleted of nutrients because different plants like phytoplankton use them up in the surface layers. But as these waters sink and travel through the conveyor belt as deep or bottom layers, they become enriched again. And many different food chains depend on this circulation of the water and these enriched waters traveling back up to the surface in a process called upwelling. All right, so now it's time for our one minute summary. 
In this episode, we talked about one of the great motions of the ocean, the Global Ocean Conveyor Belt, which is a current within the ocean where water starting at the North Atlantic Ocean becomes colder due to Arctic temperatures and also gets saltier as sea ice forms and leaves behind the salt. And because the water is now colder and saltier, it begins to sink and surface waters move in to replace it, creating a current, which is often termed thermohaline circulation. The water then travels from the surface to the bottom and then south towards Antarctica. And then as it travels around Antarctica, more cold, dense water gets added onto the conveyor belt. Then water splits into two directions. One travels back north through the Indian Ocean while the other travels north via the Pacific Ocean. And whether you're in the Indian Ocean or the Pacific Ocean, as the water travels north, it begins to warm up and starts rising to the surface because it's now less dense. Then at the surface of the North Pacific and the North Indian Oceans, it loops back to the south and to the west and makes its way back to the starting line of the North Atlantic Ocean. And for a single parcel of water, it takes about a thousand years for it to make one loop on the conveyor belt. But even while it may be moving really slow, there's a lot of water moving. And it's super important because it often controls different nutrient and carbon dioxide cyclings. And that's the end of our one minute summary. And the last comment that I'll make is that as we continue to monitor our ocean temperatures, we're noticing a trend that the temperatures in different places in the ocean are starting to get warmer. And there has been some research showing evidence that this already very slow conveyor belt is actually starting to slow down due to the warmer water temperatures, which means that it could have multiple different diverse global impacts, but more on that in future episodes. All right, so before I say goodbye, I'll remind you to check out the Salty Science Weebly page to find some great images, videos, and links that correspond to each episode. And if you're a Salty Science crew member, don't forget to go check out the Salty Science Patreon page because I'm posting pictures of the development of my salt crystal experiment. They're starting to grow and it's really, really cool. And if you're not already a Salty Science crew member, you can join our Salty crew today by going to the Salty Science Patreon page. And with all that said, I'll remind each of us to do at least one thing this week to help keep our oceans and waterways clean and to always stay salty. Thank you for listening to Salty Science. But guess what? You don't have to let the fun end here. Go to www.saltysciencepodcast.weebly.com where I've posted some cool videos, my study notes, and some really neat experiments that you can try at home. And if you want to follow along with my own research, you can follow me on Instagram user handle Teps Adventure. That's T-E-P-S Adventure. All Salty Science episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube, plus a number of other podcasting apps. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes as this is the best way to spread the word about this podcast. Salty Science is listener supported, so if you would like to show your support, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash salty science, where you can either make a one-time donation of any amount or join the Salty Science crew for as little as a dollar a month. So visit the Salty Science Patreon and sign up today.